I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, this is Anne Filippi, founder of The New Health Club. If you want to know about psychedelics as new mental health tools, you came to the right place. I talk to innovators, thought leaders and disruptors, creating the future of mental health and mental wellness. And we think that the future is already here. Hi, and welcome to a new episode of the New Health Club Show, and also the first episode of the New Health Club Show in 2023. We are back after the winter break, which is almost over. But we kick off the year with a pretty amazing guest, Dr. Molly Malouf, physician, entrepreneur, kind of the female Andrew Huberman, you could say. And she's finally on the show today. And to mention it right away, Molly and I will talk about sex and psychedelics in this episode. So you better stay tuned. But back to Molly. She's one of the first people I read about in terms of the new psychedelic space. In 2017, she was featured in a Financial Times article called How Silicon Valley Rediscovered LSD and how a new generation of San Franciscans believes the drug makes them more creative. Molly is one of the people in the space who marries science, medicine, and psychedelics. Working on future topics in psychedelics, she has a pretty impressive track record of engagements in a new health space. She's the founder and CEO of Adamo Bioscience, working on biological, psychological, psychedelic, and technological solutions to become the foremost scientific company perpetuating the power of love. She was also the founder of Adaptive, launched a consumer health and wellness brand and supplement company designed to help individuals adapt and self-manage in the face of adversity. The company was acquired in August 2021. She was also a lecturer at Stanford University until May 2022. She taught the course Live Better Longer, <laughs> Enhancing Health Span for a Longer Lifespan within the wellness department of the School of Medicine. She received the highest student ratings in the department. She's also the founder of Dr. Molly. She built a modern health brand and wellness media brand that inspires, educates, and motivates people to make the right lifestyle choices so they can actualize their potential. She's a medical advisor to many companies such as Osmind, Drugs Over Dinner, Neurohacker, and many others. But now Molly has just released her new book called The Spark Factor. I quote, a breakthrough program for women to revive their lost energy and vitality, developed by a leading biohacker and physician. In her book, Molly talks about the spark we are all looking for on a daily basis. With cutting-edge biohacking insights, strategies for personalized nutrition, hormonal health, and stress management. 
The Spark Factor is the book women have been waiting for to help them reclaim their vitality and achieve lasting health. End of quote. But the Spark Factor speaks to a bigger audience, I think, not only women, and I highly recommend it. So on this show, Molly and I talk about supplement, overkill and pill fatigue, which we all experience after being on Instagram and checking out all the new supplements. The redefinition of stress and health. The possibility to address sexual trauma with the support of psychedelic assisted therapy. We talk about sexual psychedelic therapy for eventually the masses, the limitations of classic couples therapy, and why we share so many fantasies, at least I do, around love drugs and love potions. So please enjoy the show and Dr. Molly Malouf. All right. So um, welcome, Molly Malouf on a new health cup show. I'm a really big fan of yours. I'm following your work since a while. Oh my God. Thank you. Really. <laughs> I think you were one of the... It's been a journey. Uh, yeah. I think you were one of the first people also where I read about the new psychedelic idea, let's call it. But let's start with your new book that has just come out, which is called Spark. Yeah, The Spark Factor. And um, The Spark Factor, exactly. Spark, because I just saw it spark. It's like the spark thing is what you remember. Spark Factor. Yeah. So, and I think it comes out in a time where people seem to um, really desperately seeking to understand their biochemics and their body, I feel. And um, so maybe we can start a little bit. What made you look into writing a book that's also very precise and gives you already ideas what you could do, how your daily life could look like? So Sure. I mean, a lot of books have been written about health. And I think there was this whole era of like, do this one month program and you're going to get these results. And it's like, Yes, of course. I think people need those kind of books and those kind of programs are great, but this book is not supposed to be that. This book is supposed to be a, a really a primer on understanding how health is created and the fundamentals of health creation on a cellular level, which means how do you boost energy capacity and how do you understand how your body can develop these modern chronic diseases that are a result of metabolic dysfunction? So, you know, I, I published my book last week. And then a few weeks ago, this other doctor from Harvard published a book called Brain Energy, Christopher Palmer. And I really love the fact that both of our books have come out in the same time frame because he wrote a book on the effects of mitochondria, dis mitochondrial dysfunction on mental health. And my book is really about how metabolic dysfunction and mitochondrial dysfunction can contribute to chronic diseases like heart disease, cancer, diabetes, and dementia. And so arguably there's a paradigm shift happening right now where we're moving away from this reductionistic perspective on health being all about um, kind of like, how do I describe it? Like all about this idea of health is this like, it's all about pathophysiology. It's all about diagnosing and treating disease. It's all about managing your care in a hospital That's what the healthcare system claims to be in America, but it's not that. It's actually a sickness billing industrial complex. So what I'm really writing a book about is like, this is about health creation. This is about how do you create systems in your life that create health for your body. And health is a product of your energy capacity. And that's really what the spark of life is all about. It's that energy flowing through every one of your cells 
that animates you, that gives you the ability to do work, that gives your body the ability to maintain the integrity of your structure and to repair itself. And, um, you know, the, the book is really about, it's a lot of people have asked me, like, if I have chronic diseases, is this book going to help me? And, and it's definitely a, a book that I think can help people with chronic disease because a lot of people don't have good lifestyle practices, but it's not trying to be a full on functional medicine book. Like it's not trying to replace going to a doctor and getting like really high end care. It's trying to give you the, the sort of fundamentals of health and lifestyle medicine so that you don't get sick in the first place. And, and, um, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, we, we have to relearn also the ideas of, of any kind of medicine, mental health, but also like physical health. So in what way do you, would you say is, is this approach that you're writing about a new definition of health also? Yeah. Well, the WHO defines health as the complete absence of disease or infirmary. And the truth is, is that almost everybody gets hit with an infection here and there, like a cold or a flu. Um, some people rarely get these, but when you're under a lot of stress, it's not uncommon for people to end up with these conditions. And so I really look at um, health as the ability to adapt and self-manage in the face of adversity rather than just the complete absence of disease or infirmary. So your ability to adapt and self-manage is really about, do you have enough capacity to bounce back if you get hit with a major stressor? And that bouncing back is like really about, it's what resilience is about. And I think that If you think about health kind of like a bank account where you have money in the bank and you get hit with a big expense and you have an emergency fund, mm -hmm. that's having healthy finances, right? Same thing on a cellular level. If you have extra capacity and extra resilience and extra energy and you get hit with a major physical stressor like COVID or some other condition, your body can bounce back faster. But if you're broke energetically, which a lot of people are, by the way, you're not going to bounce back as fast. And that's really the difference between someone who's really healthy and someone who's not, is their ability to bounce back when it comes to stress. Mm -hmm. And and what would you say are the, let's say the three main things to, even in stressful times, you would have to maintain as your three lifeguards, let's say. Sure. I mean, the, the, the number one most overlooked factor in health is human connection. Mm -hmm. It was so clear to me during the pandemic, when I was like, oh my God, there's a global pandemic. This is pretty crazy. Um, it was so clear to me that my connections and my community were deeply protective. Mm -hmm. And I had so much support and so much connectivity and so many friends that opened up their homes to me, my family, so supportive. I was a nomad during the time. So I was really depending on others for the first time in a long time. And having been very independent and very self-directed, The fact that I had to depend on other people was like a major gift, mm. but I definitely thought to myself, wow, what if I didn't have this incredible network of friends and family? Like, what if I didn't have that? What would I be doing right now? And it would be really scary. So I think that the number one thing that is overlooked in health is human connection. Uh, the second things are, you know, when it comes to, this is not a book on burnout. So I want to make clear on that. This is not a burnout book. There are, there are books on burnout, but I'm all for I actually have an HPA access protocol that came as a presale gift, but I'm going to put it on my website and offer it as a, an info product because everybody needs to have a strong sense of understanding cortisol regulation and cortisol testing. 
Um, it's very controversial, which is why I left it out of the book. A lot of people don't look at this, but you really should know where you're at in terms of the stress response. You should know if you're in, like, you should learn to understand what it feels like to be in the alarm phase and what it feels like to be burned out. If you have, if you don't know the difference between those things, you should look up these lists. But basically you, you, you address stress differently depending on your, um, baseline, you know, like cortisol levels. And so if your cortisol is really, really high, you're going to feel really wired and really tired and really overwhelmed and really like edgy all the time. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes you wake up in the morning without, you know, it's easy to get out of bed because you just like jump out of bed in the morning. Now, burnout is different. Burnout is like, I literally cannot get myself out of bed in the morning. I cannot get to, I, I can't move. Like I'm so tired all the time. And then typically there's a different relationship to blood sugar when you have high cortisol versus low cortisol. So high cortisol states are going to have higher blood sugar levels. Low cortisol states are going to have lower blood sugar levels. So I'm a big believer in the blood sugar monitor as this ultimate biomarker of health. And I'm also a big big believer of the aura ring. Too. And a lot of people <laughs> just overlook the aura. Yeah. If people just overlook the, the fact that we have the ability to measure our stress levels and our ability to adapt to stress in real time is pretty cool. And I just, I just don't think enough people are, are like, I was in a sauna yesterday with a friend and he was just like, are you wearing your aura? Do you have this, like, do you have this thing like connected all the time? And I was like, yeah, but I do think that monitoring your stress is really important. A lot of people overlook that. And then I think that movement is something that is really important in general for optimizing health, like just as a baseline, but sleep, if you don't master your sleep, like if you're really tired and stressed out and you don't sleep properly, you will never recover and you won't have any energy to exercise. So monitoring your blood sugar, monitoring your stress, monitoring your sleep, making sure you get these things in order is going to do massive, massive, you know, help for, for any, for all ability to adapt to stress and adapt to to challenges. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have the baseline, if you don't have the basis covered, you're just not going to do well. Now, I'm also a big believer in a bunch of other things like gut health. And, you know, if you, if your gut's dysfunctional, you're going to, you're going to struggle with health in general. And if your micronutrients are not normal because you don't have healthy gut, then that's also going to contribute to metabolic issues. So the book is, is trying to like break every one of these things down so that you can ideally triangulate where do you need to optimize your health as an individual. Okay. A lot of people are, I think, now overwhelmed a little bit by supplements that are on sale everywhere. I mean, if you go on Instagram, it's like after a minute, you had like three must have supplements. And then, oh, yeah, there's like, a million. You put everything together and you would have like in the end, like 20 supplements. Yeah. That might even, I always think that might even in a way contradict each other, maybe also, right? I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of pill fatigue. Pill fatigue. Yeah. Okay. That's a good word. Yeah. So what, what is your advice on, on supplementation? I mean, in a perfect world, everybody would have the ability to get to their labs tested regularly. And, everybody would have access to baseline supplements that they needed to optimize the most common deficiencies. So I tell people, you're probably deficient in vitamin D. And then if you're going to take vitamin D, you want to take K1, K2 with it. Most people need um, extra B vitamins because they're, you know, especially when you're under stress. Uh, I see, I've seen some pretty serious B12 deficiencies in my time and it's happening in younger and younger people. And it's, it's like, demyelinating polyneuropathies are happening to people that are young and healthy, oh, especially okay. in the vegans. So 
it's really, really common to see B vitamin deficiencies. So I take a B complex. Mm-hmm. Um, and then magnesium, really, really commonly deficient. Almost everybody benefits from it. And then omega-3s, you know. And if you cover those bases and then maybe get a hair minerals test to check for mineral deficiencies, you're going to be pretty set. And everything else is kind of icing on the cake. So like no tropics are really big in the biohacking community. But do does everybody need them? Well, not everybody has issues with their brain, right? Not everybody has issues with focus. Not everybody has issues with mood. Not everybody has issues with memory. So you can triangulate what kinds of nootropics you need by different questionnaires, like the book, The Mood Cure or the Braverman Scale or Bra- Braverman Index. And that can be really helpful for getting your brain more balanced. Um, and then hormones are a whole other category of optimization. And, you know, whether you use bioidentical hormones or whether you use supplements is kind of dependent on your preferences, mm-hmm. but, um, and also your age, you know, so depending on your age and your preferences. And I also just look at these things from a perspective of like, are you trying to actively cure gut dysfunction? Mm-hmm. If so, that's going to require its own supplement regimen for gut health. And then are you in need of detoxification? that's going to require its own supplement regimen for detox. But I don't combine these all at once. Mm -hmm. The baseline supplements almost everybody gets in my practice because almost everybody's deficient in them. But I still measure, I still test before I treat. Um, Aside from those, everything else is dependent on the individual's goals and what they're trying to optimize. And like, for example, sleep supplements, you know, like theanine, GABA, and there's a few others like glycine and you know, there's, there's one, there's this one that my friend introduced me to. It's pretty popular these days. I've been, I've been playing with it a little bit. The sleep is, is always a big one. People want to learn more about mm. it's called NutraChill mm-hmm. and it's uh, on NutraNeeds.com. But yeah, I think it's all about like, get your baseline supplements in order and then maybe take a few extra in the event that you're trying to optimize specific things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's too many young people taking NAD precursors when they don't need to yet. Cause they're not deficient yet. I mean, I, there's a lot of people in the biohacking community that just think that they need way more supplements than they do. Yeah. But arguably everybody needs to focus on the, on like the fundamentals and then start with supplement regimen. It's kind of like detailing a car. If the sure. car is not functioning properly, you're not going to fix it with supplements necessarily, but supplements are a big part of my practice. The last time I've seen you was on, um, on a panel in Miami about sex and psychedelics. <laughs> Which is a very fascinating topic in LA. No, no, in in uh, in, at, at oh, Wonderland. in no, 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 yeah, Wonderland. In, in Wonderland. Yeah. yeah. So, and I mean, I, I think like your perspective on it. I mean, I, I read a lot of like stuff that you wrote online about it already. Yeah. But I think to me, this is becoming a really big topic also for women because, and, and uh, the reason I'm I'm gonna touch on it right now is because to me, it's like to really understand their bodies which has not really been the case for a very long time i feel so the biochemical understanding is happening right now yeah but also like the the new sexual understanding of of uh, women and their bodies so maybe you can start elaborating a little bit what is fascinating to you between these two topics sex and psychedelics for especially for women maybe or maybe for for everybody <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, well, sex and psychedelics have a lot in common. When you have really, really, really beautiful, magnificent level sex, it's almost a psychedelic experience because you're entering this trance of connection with a partner where your bodies are 
rhythmically entrained in the same movement and there's a merging occurring and there's a there's a sense of losing yourself in another person and i think that for a lot of people who've struggled with you know trauma i think psychedelics can play a role in healing some of the biggest causes of sexual dysfunction so relationship problems mood disorders sexual trauma you know mdma is being studied for sexual trauma ptsd in particular uh, the number one cause of PTSD is sexual trauma. Psilocybin is being studied for treatment-resistant depression. I've had many friends uh, had their depression cured with psilocybin. And then relationship problems. You know, there's there's actually a bunch of doctors across the country that are using ketamine in couples therapy to help break through a lot of the barriers and get people to connect in a deeper way. So I would argue that there's a whole bunch of opportunity to, to like innovate in this space. And so what we're developing at Adama Bioscience, among other things, is it's like a pretty comprehensive psychedelic protocol for sexual dysfunction. And it's really around the science of love and enhancing, you know, basically imp- like resolving sexual dysfunction secondary to a lot of psychological issues. Um, and it's going to be used with or without psychedelics. It's definitely drug agnostic. But I felt really strongly that love can heal and psychedelics can often bring you the same sensation of love and can really bring you back to that original feeling of passionate love you felt when you were first falling in love with a partner. So I think there's a lot of potential in these medicines to heal. And I I was able to heal my sexual dysfunction with uh, MDMA with a partner many years ago. And at the same time, there was still a lot of things that I needed to do. Um, to fix my relationship to myself and my relationship to partners, things like attachment issues, conflict resolution skills, um, and like self-love and self-compassion. So that's what we're also, we're going to be including in the protocol. And, um, I think you, you guys also talked about it on a panel, but one question that is becoming interesting in that context is that a lot of people are actually in a psychedelic experience or therapy Uh, finding out or yeah, seeing that they had actual sexual abuse, maybe as a child that they forgot about or it, yeah, they never really recalled it in 20 years. So, and um, then you basically find yourself in a moment where you start to work through this and it, that also would require like to redefine your own sexuality often, like the people you attract or the people you would like to engage with on a sexual level as <laughs> suddenly changing. So um, can you talk about this kind of new persona that might come out of an of a psychedelic experience um, yeah. where you had, let's say, discovered sexual trauma? Well, one of the things that can happen if somebody has a sexual experience and then discovers that they have a history of trauma is that they can go into chaos or rigidity, which means that they can really, their life can become really chaotic or they can become really stuck in a state of feeling like, just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to deal with this. So it's really important that people have access to good trauma therapy. And we're going to be developing a um, network of highly trained trauma therapists for our platform, just because like we want to give people access to people that are available um, to help them. So that's something that we're definitely thinking about. Um, And then on top of that, you know, I do think that it's 
a major catalyst for growth. If you can, op- if you can, if you can seize the opportunity to realize that like this pain under the surface has actually been causing a lot of problems for you and probably leading to a lot of issues in your relationship. And it can be overcome if you decide that you want to um, work on it. So the most important thing you do in that situation is you actually get professional help to integrate your experience. And so that you don't sit with it on your own, you know, you don't, you don't like feel alone in your experience. Um, and there's really great therapists out there. You just have to know, know where to find them. So anyway, can you talk about a platform that you, that you're building on this or is it too early? Maybe? Um, yeah, we're, we're building, you know, we're going to be building out a like psychedelic protocol. We have a couple of psychedelic protocols we're going to be launching and one's on ketamine and one's on one's just like a all purpose ketamine assisted therapy protocol. And that's for like personal growth and development. And then the second one is um, psychedelic medicine for sexual dysfunction. And a lot of MAPS therapists don't have access to good, solid understanding of how to deal with sexual dysfunction. So we're going to train them. A lot of the MAPS therapists that are looking for this, we're going to be able to provide them access to this. And then also, um, ideally, we're going to just, we're going to write about it and publish on it and distribute it as like a next generation sex therapy for the masses. And then produce content, build a brand around it. Sex therapy, psychedelic sex therapy for the masses. <laughs> that sounds fascinating. Yeah. There's also just a lot of people, by the way, I mean, there's a lot of people in the LGBTQ communities yeah. that are really struggling with their identity. And so we're, we're building out tools to help people evaluate their gender identity, their sexual orientation, their... Um, relationship orientation, you know, there's, there's, there's emotional, there's sexual, there's social monogamy and non-monogamy and helping people understand who they are so that they can understand others better. Um, whether someone is trans or cis, whether, you know, whether someone is heterosexual or homosexual, whether someone identifies as queer or straight, there's like, there's no model or tool out there right now that can like help you identify yourself and figure out who you are. Yeah. And I think it would be really useful for the dating app world to have this kind of profile available. So people can be like, Oh, so who are you? What are you, what are you looking for? And you can just click a link and go into, Oh, there you go. This is who this person is. And, um, I mean, even just like understanding, are you more into vanilla or more into kink? Like there's so much variety in how we love and how we relate to others, our attachment styles, you know, Like all this stuff is, is understandable and all this stuff can be optimized. We just don't have, there's just like, I haven't found a single platform out there that does all this, you know, that like does what I want to exist. I'm just like, and, and all these friends of mine that are in these underserved communities are like modern sex therapy doesn't really serve them. Um, so we want to create an, a, a sexual orientation and gender agnostic therapy, ideally. So we're really aiming to do. When you, when you talk about, because it was also addressed at the panel a little bit, When, when we talk about sexual dysfunction in women, it would, if it comes to women, it would mostly mean like, oh, they can't enjoy themselves while having sex or they have kind of trouble, um, getting, getting an orgasm or just being, feeling pleasure by themselves, like with, maybe with toys and stuff. So is this something that is, um, let's say, significant in women more these days than it used to be? Because I mean, it seems that there's a lot of need for this kind of new information. Also how your sexual body works actually, which 
for example, I mean, I grew up where they very Catholic and I feel like <laughs> the first 20 years, I roughly had no idea like how it actually, you know, like, like how your body would work. So because it was, there was a lot of shame around just looking into this besides just having, let's say a couple of Hollywood movies where people would kiss and then that would be your information kind of. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that it's funny. There's like been a lot of interesting movies coming out in the last few years where women's pleasure has been highlighted. Mm -hmm. Um, and I haven't seen all of them, but like, it's, it's always interesting to, to realize that like, there's a somewhat of a double standard when it comes to women. And I think things are changing a bit because I think more and more women are kind of becoming aware that like they, they have needs too. And, um, they deserve to have equal pleasure to men. And in some ways, like, I think a lot of women are just starting to like realize, oh, wow, like this is like a huge part of who I am. I mean, female sexual, female sexuality is fascinating. And I think that there's just a lot of women who are kind of waking up to realizing it could be better. It could be more, it could be, they could experience even deeper levels of pleasure. I think Gwyneth had mm -hmm. done a really good, like a lot of really great work with Goop and a lot of the content she's created, created around, um, sexuality yeah. as well as psychedelics. I think she's, um, kind of leading the charge in a lot of ways, but it's one thing to like, kind of show people going to get therapy at a, like, you know, a retreat center and doing a mushroom trip. It's a lot of trauma in women. One in four, one in five women are raped. One in four are abused as children. One in three are assaulted. And about 60 to 80% of these women are going to develop sexual dysfunction. So that's the, those are the people that I'm really interested in helping as well as the men in the world who feel underserved. I, I really don't want this to be just about women, but I do think that the company did start as a, a woman, a, a women focused company, mm. but I'm realizing that like having written the book for women and it was like a book on biohacking for women realizing that like, I probably would have sold more books and I would have had a bigger audience if I would have made it a gender neutral book. I'm starting to lean away from just like gendered um, marketing because I I've always worked with men and women. Yeah. And so I don't really see the point of like boxing myself into like one gender when we're not living in a world that cares as much about that anyway. So I don't know. In some ways, like I do think that women need more women should be served more, but I also think that there's clearly an opportunity in a, in a, and there's a bigger market if we actually are more inclusive for everyone's pleasure. And, and I think arguably a lot of men are unaware of what's even possible for their pleasure because they're so busy rushing through sex. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. But I mean, um, I think I heard in one of the podcasts with you, uh, that you work with Brian D. Earp, right? I mean, the, yeah, he's one of my advisors. Uh, he's amazing. I mean, he was on a, one of the first podcasts and I was fascinated by the, by his book on, on love drugs. Yeah, it's a great book. So you guys collaborate, I, I assume, right? On, on something. Well, we're definitely talking a lot about what is the ethical framework that we want to build for this company. And yeah. there's a really big ethical, ethical conundrum happening in the world. Um, there's the mainstream sex therapy world. And then there's the underground sex therapy world. And the mainstream world is highly against touching your patient. And I agree. I really don't think you should. Personally, I wouldn't do it. Um, it's just not, it just seems, it seems like it could be traumatizing for people to be touched by their mm -hmm. practitioner. Mm -hmm. That being said, I have met sex therapists and friends of mine who've been to tantricas 
and specifically asked them to work with them in a, in a hands-on manner. And, uh, they've had great results and I'm like, Oh, this is really hard for me because I, I know that for my company to be able to make it out to the mainstream, we, we have to follow the book we have to follow the rules. But I think it's interesting that there's a lot of people out there that are searching for something more than they're getting from the mainstream sex therapy world. And I've just been like kind of doing a bit of like an anthropological assessment of like, what is the state of sexual medicine today? And it's, it's certainly bifurcated in the mainstream and the underground and arguably the same things going on in psychedelics. There's the mainstream psychedelics and there's the underground and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of problems in the underground. And so what I'm trying to do is make something that is viable for the mainstream, but also, um, is innovative and is, is scalable. And that's, that's going to be the real, the biggest challenge is figuring out how to get this out to people. Mm. I mean, like for now, I mean, there's already therapists and, and podcasts talking about this. For now, it seems that MDMA is the, the current love drug, let's say, available for couples. But, but do you think there needs to be like a newly researched love drug that is like maybe a second generation psychedelics? Uh, yeah, I mean, MDMA has a lot of problems and it's not particularly suited for the purposes that I would like to develop. But, um, at the same time, you know, a lot of funding in psychedelics has kind of dried up a little bit. Yeah. And so there's that issue. And, um, I do think that there's an opportunity to like innovate beyond MDMA, but there's so many areas of, of improvement of this current, this current world we're living in. And, um, Yeah, it's tricky. It's like, I got to go back and forth between wanting to develop pharmaceuticals and wanting to not. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's more like I need to get the right team in place, but yeah. But I mean, it is fascinating as an idea, especially in this context to have like a, I have to say it, it's fascinating to think of a pharmaceutical pro- uh, product in this case. So, because I know, I mean, I, I remember like reading Brian's book and, and he said, well, what about if you could have a pill that makes you fall out of love also. So. Well, that thing is, is there actually is one. So people oh, are okay. using, which one people are using <laughs> propanolol in therapy to help turn down the body's emotional response to wow. the threat of loss. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's working. I mean, people are doing this in Canada. I think that the reality is, is that a lot of people are like, well, why, why would you want to toy and manipulate love? And aren't you playing God, you know? And I would say that love and loss, like, so the thing about love is really fat. That's fascinating is like, there's quite a lot of, um, positives that come from love, but then loss of love is deeply, deeply traumatizing for the nervous system of a human because it's so tied to our survival. And there's, there's people actually believe that like the sex drive is like not a drive because they, they, they believe that it's like, we don't die if we don't have sex, but arguably your body senses not passing on your genes as a threat to your survival of your genes. because really that's what your body's trying to do. So I, I argue against some of these people who, who don't believe in the sex drive and don't believe that this is like something that needs to be necessarily uh, like dealt with in certain cases. Like, yeah, I just, I, I really think that medicine has overlooked this really important facet of existence, which is human connection and loss of connection And if you really look at what's underneath a lot of disease and a lot of mental health issues is chronic stress from 
traumatic experiences and human, human relationships and social injuries. There's a lot of social injuries in the world, whether it's divorce, losing a loved one, losing a job, being raped, being abused emotionally, um, being neglected as a child. Like there's a lot of social injury that happens. And so the solution is connection, but how do we scale that? Right. How do we create how do we create products and services that enable people to get more connection? And that's arguably the bigger question. It's not, do we need more drugs? It's how do we create more connected people? How do we create more connected societies? How do we make, how do we create more connected culture? Um, because arguably a lot of the people that are doing these mass shootings in America are highly disconnected, abused and neglected humans. And that is what concerns me the most is that there's been so many mass shootings in the last month. I think like the the number in terms of America is like, oh my God, there's been like 39 mass shootings. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That seems to, to be on a rise again. But I mean, one thing I, I'm, that's interesting to me is that let's say people who go on a psychedelic experience, whatever it is, like, mm-hmm. and most people get into a moment where they see, okay, I have to let go of this and this and this toxic environment relationship because I just connected to this person or environment or job because it was fitting into my traumatized person. So, and then sometimes you find yourself in a situation where like, oh, basically it means I must exchange everything in my life. So, and the interesting thing to me, because I kind of going through something a little bit like this right now, and I feel my body is also going through this in a way. Oh, it is. Because why, why don't, why don't we have this thing anymore that we had last month and why, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I find this reading your book, I found it. Are you going through a breakup? Well, that too, but <laughs> I had actually two, two really good friends breakups also. Oh, wow. Plus a romantic breakup. So, but in, in, in the weird way, in the back of my mind, I feel it's exactly the right thing. Yeah. But my body is kind of saying, okay, look, what is happening with you? Sure. Well, you're going through a withdrawal. Okay. When you have love, you feel all the hormones of love. And then when you lose love, you basically start to feel the sense of, oh my God, wait, what's missing? Like something's missing here and it hurts. It like physically hurts. And um, heartbreak is horrible. I mean, absolutely horrible. And at the same time, I think it's really important for people to move away from relationships that are no longer serving them. Um, and there's, t- there's a time and a place to work through things. And there's also a time and a place that's like not worth working through things, you know? How would you say, how could one support your body? And let's say um, in, in, the, in these big kind of social or romantic transitions that sometimes come six months after a, a big psychedelic experience, doesn't always have to be in a romantic context, but some people say, I never want to go back to this job ever. So, and um, maybe a year after the experience, they're kind of looking into things. Um, they find, try to find new things to do, but they, they still can't, you know, really figure out yet where to go. But um, so what would be your suggestion? How can you support your your nervous system and your body in, in this time of, of transition, maybe to a new life? <laughs> Let's call it. Um, I mean, I think the most important thing is that you have a lot of loving connection around you, um, really reaching out to people that you care about and that you really trust 
and saying, Hey, I need some extra support right now. I'm going through a rough patch and realizing that you can replace that missing love with that connection that you have already with others. And that oxytocin, that's nature's medicine. Those bonds of attachment that we have with those that we trust, you know, like I I have to say, like cuddling is underrated. Um, (laughs) Making sure you get a lot of human touch. Mm -hmm. Massage is really great. Mm -hmm. Making sure that you get proper amounts of massage. Um, It's so under, underappreciated, you know, it really, really is. It's crazy how much um, people, you know, forget that they can like get this from, you know, just, I mean, I get massages regularly, but human touch is overlooked a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. Spending time with friends with babies, holding babies is a way to get free oxytocin. Spending time (laughs) with dogs, um, holding animals, cats and dogs, like literally just holding an animal is going to release oxytocin. And then, you know, lots of FaceTime with people that you care about, you know, just really getting that support around you is key because, you know, you need that. That's what we need to, re- to replace what we feel we lost. We need to feel safe. Mm. And also to, to look into the new person that you would like to be now. So you also need energy to create this person in a way, right? I mean, I feel a little bit, but I mean, can you talk about how, what direction you see your company going and what, what is your bigger picture with your, I mean, ma- many different points that you're addressing and in the book or also like on the panel, for example. So it seems like you, you rather looking into a, let's say not mass market, but like, like a lifestyle market that is, which I like actually, which I find rather more interesting than a classic clinical perspective. Yeah. Because I feel the need for in, in this bigger consumer markets is insane right now for new tools and new I mean yeah. I think I'm meant to be a consumer facing brand as both an individual and a Damo. And I think this idea that I mean don't get me wrong, I still think there's a need for trained therapists, especially in the acute phases of trauma. Yeah. Like yeah. in the acute phases of trauma, yeah. But I think that um you know, there's certainly, as far as I know, there's not that many, like, I don't know of any companies that exist that are trying to develop new sex therapies. Like sensei therapy is 50 years old. It's old. Wow. <laughs> and, yeah. um, cognitive behavioral therapy and mindfulness based therapies, they're fantastic, but they don't even address sex at all. So in some ways I feel like I'm on the frontier and I'm like collecting all of these geniuses to help me come together and create a collective of experts to build out a new field. And I don't really see the need to go through the existing system when the existing system is crumbling. Yeah. So my goal is to basically build new healthcare systems and to build new products and services that can go to consumers and can, can educate people directly. I think there's a lot of power in YouTube and a power in just creating media that really resonates with people. Um, so I'm going to be doing a lot more content and ideally hiring a team of people to help me create content, which is great. Mm -hmm. Do you think that, I mean, for example, Esther Perel, who I really adore, but even that kind of couples therapy idea, I mean, which you have now in every Netflix show, somebody has to go to a couples therapy and it's horrible and nobody wants to go. And right. So it, I mean, it's like, Oh, can it, can you just not? Yeah, I know it's, it's funny. Like everyone's like, I mean, I don't personally subscribe to like mm, the modern therapeutic, um, 
framework. Like it didn't work for me. Um, what worked Mm -hmm. for me was psychedelics and integration and a lot of the alternative healers, a lot of the somatic work. I I'm so a believer that if we get into our bodies and out of our minds, we can really, we can really touch parts of ourselves that need to heal. And we're so in this paradigm of like, it's all has to be up here and the frontal reasoning, but really it's the subconscious that you want to get to. Cause that's the part of the body that's overreacting and own and like trying to defend itself and trying to attack, um, when it feels threatened. Mm. And so I'm trying to create like a fundamental understanding of how bodies and minds become dysfunctional and how they learn to cope with dysfunctional patterns. And then how do you get back to center? I mean, it, I, I'm a work in progress. Like I, I feel like in a lot of ways, like last year was a very challenging year for me because I was really high. It was a high productivity year, but this year is all about balance and harmony and just like service and just being in a state of like calm and centeredness as much as possible. And, um, it's definitely going to be a shift for me, but I think it's necessary to kind of birth what I'm bringing into the world. And let's say there are more and more couples who say like, well, I want to go on a trip with my partner or see, that's what we're, we're working on. We were going to run retreats. Oh, cool. Oh, amazing. And we're also running a conference at Esalen Institute oh. um, where we're going to have, it's going to be a really, really profound conference. It's uh, Esalen Institute. Was the, oh, I really want to come. Yeah, totally. Um, I'll have to send I you. I really want to. I'll yeah. send you, I'll put you on my list of um, people to invite. Please, yeah. Yeah. That would be great. It's going to be really, really cool. Because it's, I'm super interested in this. So I'm, I'm like, we're going to have an yeah. application process, but it's basically a, I mean, I'll get you in, but it's a, it's a conference on sexuality, love, and altered states. And so altered states being psychedelic medicine, being sexual experiences. And we're going to bring together a lot of really incredible people to like talk about this frontier and ideally spark a sexual revolution in the process that is not led by me, but led by many. Um, Because I do think we're heading into a really dangerous time in global affairs. And I think that Gen- it's so cliche, but we really do need more love in the world. And so it's going to take an army of people to promote a mission of love. And you know what? At the same time, like what a lot of people don't realize about love is that as much as I want humans to be capable of unconditional love, most people are conditional. And it's a sad thing. It's the truth. But the truth is, is that if you can create a tribe around you of people that you really believe are have your back you can create unconditional love for those people. Interesting. Mm. But because most people are not enlightened, one of the downsides of attachment is that there's also this problem of vasopressin. So the more that you find yourself connected to a group, the more you're going to find yourself excluding others. Sadly, it doesn't have to be the case. If you can develop unconditional love for all beings, like that is, that's really the ultimate, but arguably most people are not there yet. So the first step is developing as much unconditional love as you can to those that are in your tribe and in your circle and ideally extending that out to everyone else. But most people aren't capable of that yet because they haven't even gotten to the self-love piece first. So arguably there's self-love and then there's love of those around you and then there's love for humanity. Um, And I'm really trying to like give people a pathway to learn how to do this, but it is a challenge for sure. So, and, um, so that means that topic will be something that you 
you you work around also in in your company, right? Which I think yeah. is amazing because it is really fascinating how this will affect the classic idea also of um, how it's supposed to be between people. And I mean, well, there's a lot of changes yeah. that I think need to be potentially made. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that it's the first one is is that there's a big spectrum of monogamy to non-monogamy in the world mm. and that needs to be addressed yeah. and people need to be educated on that and there's like a whole different there's like you know there's there's different, different ways to be monogamous there's sexual monogamy non-monogamy there's emotional there's there's social it's how do you present yourself in the world and i just think that like the world is changing so much power structures are changing so much dynamics are changing so much that we we need a new blueprint you know we need a new framework of thinking about how we relate to others. And I think Esther, you know, I'm not claiming to be an expert like she is. I'm just trying to take the big picture of humanity from the, from the very beginning to now and to the future and try to help people conceptualize these issues and hopefully reconcile some of these conflicts, but create a more inclusive way of thinking about love um, that could, that could serve more people potentially. Yeah. And I think it's just quickly talking about her in this, book, uh, The State of Affairs, which I think is really amazing. Um, she, yeah. I mean, basically that the main thing she says is people who have affairs are not because they're no longer in love with their partners, but because they long to be at least for a certain time, uh, they long to be somebody else. So, or another person that they can't maybe execute in their relationship or show in their relationship. So, and um, now psychedelics coming into the the world into the game. It's like almost when you, when you engage in, in this, maybe even on a regular basis, it's kind of hard to be someone else. <laughs> you kind of become the person that you really are. And it, it becomes harder and harder to pretend things to other people. Yeah. So, um, and I wonder if psychedelics are the answer to <laughs> no longer having affairs <laughs> because you, you are the person who you are. So, um, it's an interesting thought. I mean, <laughs> I think that one of my friends who's married has said something really powerful. And, th and that was that psychedelics enable people to say the things that they can't feel comfortable saying while sober. Yeah. And it opens up communication on a deeper level so that you can really express yourself. And in that state, you can not let things go unsaid, which can lead to festering and resentment, Right which we know is one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse for merit for marriages. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's something people should think about. You know, there's this idea that like, I think people find it easier not to say stuff when they're conscious, but then when you really start tapping into the subconscious and you start really enabling yourself to go there, you're able to just express how you feel. Mm. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, how, how, in what way would you say have psychedelics changed your life in the last five to 10 years, maybe. Mm. Um, I think that first off, they've made me a more open person. And the second thing is that they've made me more, um, they've made me like, they enabled me to love myself more and heal parts of myself that needed to be healed. And then they also created the conditions where I was able to um, heal from trauma, you know, so they've played a role in a lot of different things, uh, in my life, which has been pretty cool. And, um, yeah, I think that they've, they've also helped me realize that 
I was on to something a long time ago. <laughs> I was really interested in these when I was in, when I was 18. I was studying them oh, really? in wow. the libraries of University of Illinois. And I just always felt like it was a secret of mine that like, I'm fascinated by these things, but I, don't, I can't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. So when I came out of the psychedelic closet and was in the Financial Times in 2017, talking about these things. I remember, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember thinking, oh my God, am I putting my, am I like going to ruin my career? And now there's like entire departments dedicated to psychedelics at UCSF and Stanford. So like, it's pretty mainstream at this point, you know, as long as you're approaching it from an academic perspective, which I am, mm-hmm. I think you're pretty safe. Okay. So how would you say was your trajectory going back even a, st- a step before you, you studied it at 18? So what made you actually interested in looking into, let's say, different states in, in, in the first place? Was it something that you just accidentally started to read about them in, li- in the li- library or was something in you before that made you want to look into, mm. yeah, into other states kind of maybe also? I think I, I think I probably would need to... I had to go back to like my email and see if I can find like some documentation of my research because I'm, I'm genuinely, I think it happened because I was working in the history and philosophy library. And I was just like, I found this whole stack of books and it just called to me. I was just like, I need to read all these books. And I checked them all out and I just kept them for like a few months in my room and would go through each one of them on my free time. And it was a, it was a desire to understand the taboo and like why they were so vilified when they were a big part of human history. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like, okay, this, there's something to this. Like, why are they being overlooked? And it was, it was a deep curiosity. I think, you know, it was like a, well, what's, what is the, what are the point of these things? What do they mean? You know, like, what can they teach us? But was it also like a, like a, let's say a spiritual interest? That was, I mean, I, I had some sexual trauma in college and I think I was curious about, um, I think I was curious about why people had used these for so long. And I, and I, and I, I didn't even touch them honestly Mm -hmm. in my early twenties really much. I wasn't really actively using them. I was just like, I feel like there's something here that I need to understand. And I felt like they might be tools in helping me understand consciousness um, and also helping me understand humanity better. And I was humanities major. So I was really interested in understanding humanity as a whole. So that was something that I thought, I thought a lot about was like, how do I do that? Okay. I also, by the way, like there was a time, there was a a period of time in college in my twenties where I really didn't know my spiritual beliefs. Okay. And I just couldn't, I didn't really understand. I'd kind of given up Christianity a bit. And I didn't know where I stood with God. I was like, I don't know what to believe. So I kind of just like put on the shelf, like, all right, I'm not going to make a decision right now. So I think part of my exploration of psychedelics was like a big question of like, what is life about? You know, like what is, what is this existence mean? What does it mean? What is the meaning of life? And anything that could potentially lead me to an understanding of that was something that I was exploring at the time. Okay. Which is kind of in your puberty, you have all these ideas for how the world could work and so yeah but i mean coming just quickly back to the to the time now which is a very 
interesting time in terms of um, a lot of substances are on the way to be decriminalized or even legalized um, in America. I mean, America is obviously developing a um, speed on 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 uh, getting these substances out, also for retreats or for trials. So, yeah, what is your feeling? Let's say for the speed, do you think it's too fast? Do you think it's too slow? What are the thoughts, your thoughts on this? I usually think it was too slow and then I thought it was too fast. Now I think it's just right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Okay. I think everything is in divine timing. So um, what is the main thing you think should be in focus and bringing this into, let's say, a mainstream or, or the public? I think the number one thing is that we start to teach people about the power of these things and also the risks. Mm -hmm. So you shouldn't just have hazardly take a bunch of psychedelics. Um, we need to bring structure into this movement and we need to be, bring integration into the movement as well. Integration, like after the trip and just to understand what you actually have experienced. Yeah. Stuff like that. You mean? Yeah. I think structure and integration, I think proper protocols, proper, mm -hmm. just like, there's a lot of people just giving people drugs and not doing enough to integrate them. <laughs> mm. And I think that's really the important. Mm -hmm. And do you think it should be at one point in, I mean, part of the healthcare of the classic healthcare system, coming back to your idea of your own healthcare system, do you think it, it makes sense to, in, to implement psychedelic therapies in this? Into the mainstream system? Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think it's inevitable. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think we can stop it. But I think arguably it's going to be different than traditional medicine. Mm. Um, I think it'll be better than what we have today. So mm -hmm. it's worth it's worth exploring. Then thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the New Health Club Show, and please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Or if you would like to sign up for our newsletter, please go to www.thenewhealthclub.de and subscribe to the newsletter. Again, please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Clubhouse, of course, there's also a new health club now. Or even better, sign up to our newsletter on thenewhealthclub.de. I talk to you very soon.